You have to fall in love with your clients. You have to have their best interests in heart and in mind when you're going through any type of deal with them. That's what I talk about with today's guest, Simon Mass. He founded The Condo Store, which is a company that really helps facilitate real estate deals. And we talk a little bit about you know his company and what it's up to, but we really talk about how to treat clients and how to do that if you're selling a product or have if you're a service provider. So if you're an early stage entrepreneur or a seasoned veteran, I think this is going to be a really useful episode for you. Uh, Simon brings... 15 years of experience to the table when he's talking. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. So I hope you all do as well. But before we get into that, as always, the show is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is our marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps companies grow by using social media. So if you're feeling stuck on social media, you need some help, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us, book a free consultation. All right, sit back, relax. Let's get into this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm excited. I'm excited today. I am welcoming Simon Mass to the show. He is the CEO and the co-founder over at The Condo Store. Simon, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jordan. Well, before we get into the ins and outs of you know running a company and marketing and what 2020 has thrown at all of us, um, I want to pass the floor to you and let you tell us you know, your backstory. Give us that five-minute backstory where the idea for the condo store came from, and then walk us through on an abbreviated timeline, you know, kind of the steps to get it to where you're at today. Sure. I'll try and give you my elevator pitch as, as best as possible. But I fell into the real estate investment uh, sector just purely by accident. The story is kind of unique, I guess. I didn't have a ambition to be in the real estate sector. I had uh, left the UK to come to Toronto, Canada to do my MBA. And I'll make it as fast as possible. But I got lost in a snowstorm. I wasn't really familiar with the um, drastic weather conditions in Canada. Didn't know what winter tires were. And anyway, got lost and went into a sales center for a condominium building to ask for directions because I didn't know where I was. And the snowstorm was quite a dangerous one. And the salesperson, an older lady, asked me to stay there to be safe. And within an hour, she was able to basically teach me the ins and outs of the pre-construction condo sector. And within a week, I was a client. As a student, I I hedged and, uh, you know, I was 20, 22 years old. I'd come into Canada with a little bit of money. I'd saved about uh, $60,000, $70,000. So I don't have one of those stories where I came to Canada with $20 and managed to build a big uh, business empire. But I had a nice savings account and I went all in. I basically bought myself a large number of pre-construction condos and put all of my savings into it. And fast forward two years later, I made a seven-figure profit with a fifty or $60,000 investment, and I was completely hooked. And I decided that probably I'd left millions of dollars on the table, and how can I accelerate and finish my MBA as soon as possible because I had no more interest in my classes. All I wanted to do was set up an office and just do what I was doing and just rinse and repeat and try to snowball the business. It's so funny. Once you get that entrepreneurial reality and and you make some money, oh, my dog is coming to say hello. Sorry. That's (laughs) That's good. I I, I have one as well. So mine might drop by in a little bit too. That's that is part of the uh, no longer having a studio and, and recording from home, listeners. But it's one of those things where when you have that entrepreneurial kind of like, whoa, I can do this and I can make money. Yeah, like you said, you just want to get through your classes and it, it starts to become 
it's like a drug really starting to figure out how to to get through and make the deals happen and and to see it transpire and to see your work work out for you for you. So that is a, a cool way to start. So now you're there, you put together a deal and walk me through the next steps of like, okay, now let's start to get other people into the fold and let's make this a company. Sure. I mean, the first step was that people that I was going to school with suddenly saw a change. So nicer car, just a lot more confidence and being super busy in class. And, and we're talking about, uh, you know, the early 2000s. So it wasn't like everybody was walking around with a cell phone. It was back in the days of the Motorola flip phone. So now I'm leaving class to take phone calls in the hallways of university. So people were just wondering what was going on. And once I basically had an opportunity of telling them what I had done and what I was doing, for some reason, like real estate really is like a drug, like most people in society gravitate to it. And they have an interest because I think it's pretty much embedded in all of us that to be successful in life, you should be owning your own home. Most super, super successful billionaires out there, other than what we have now in the last decade of tech billionaires, pretty much most of the old school billionaires uh, were all real estate asset backed investors. So people were coming to me. And then what happened was friends and family were also seeing a change, you know. I'd moved into a nice downtown condo, was driving a, it's a cliche, driving a Porsche 911 and, you know, didn't have the Rolex watch and I still don't because I don't like it. But people started seeing that and they just simply asked, what are you doing? And once I told them, for people that were friends or family, they were happy to jump on the bandwagon. And just like people ask their friends right now for a good stock tip, especially in today's like COVID era, it was exactly the same thing. It was friends and family just saying, look, I have twenty or $30,000 that I would be happy just to give to you and do whatever you want to do with it. And it honestly um, snowballed from 10, 15 people to fast forward 20 years. We still don't have a massive client list. We only have about 300 highly qualified, high net worth clients. But that 300 group, as we like to call it within our own firm, you know, they've generated for us on a gross sales number, $24 billion in sales, which is, you know, it's a number that I would never have even considered when I was first starting off. I mean, at that time, I was thinking a couple of hundred million dollars would be awesome and I could retire. You know, when you're in your early 20s, you, I think, especially back then, a million dollars was so much money that for me, like a retirement plan was $5 million. And at that stage, you know, if I could retire at the age of 27, I'd be happy and, uh, you know, put it in the bank and get a 10% return, which is what we used to get back then. And just, you know, retire and move to an island and enjoy the sun. But obviously, you know, once you establish a business, especially a business that you have a passion for and you enjoy doing day in, day out, um, I don't, I don't think retirement really is part of the plan. Yeah, I think that people who are true-blooded entrepreneurs, I, I think in general society, I think we have this notion that like, oh, if I win, win the lottery or if I sell a company, then I'll go sit my ties in Jamaica. And like, don't get me wrong, that stuff's cool for like a week, and then that that bug comes back, and you say, how do I? How do I solve the next problem? How do I do the next deal? How do I help people? How do I help my friends? How do I help one more person get, you know, build wealth? And that's the thing, you know, that purpose that gets you out of bed, really, at least for, for myself, that's like, okay, how can I, you know, help and change people's businesses, for instance? So yeah, nail on the head when it comes to how things evolve. And speaking of evolution, I want to talk a little bit about the company structure itself, right? So you started off, you and a co-founder, and now Today, how many people roughly are, are working within the business? I mean, I would say our core staffing um, numbers are around 20 people, but it has fluctuated over years to 40 or 50. 
more commissioned salespeople coming on board. But again, even pre-COVID, we, we started realizing that you have to be so careful when you're scaling a business. A lot of people in a lot of businesses, I find, love the idea of saying they've got multiple locations and hundreds of employees or team members. And I find that it isn't really an efficient business model, especially in my business. I don't need to have multiple locations across Toronto or across Canada. If somebody wants to participate in a deal that I have, they can deal with me directly or with my staff with one office. Also, the idea of having a very large sales-backed staffing team, I don't think is beneficial for our business because we don't have a million clients. We're also not selling a product or a service that I would say falls into that you know, comfortable $50 or a few hundred dollars um, price range. We're selling probably the largest and most expensive investment that anyone buys into in their lifetime. So generally speaking, even even today, even as of an hour ago, I personally speak to my own clients and they want to speak to me. They don't want to be speaking to, let's say, a vice president that has a title, but ultimately, you know, doesn't have that relationship with them um, dating back 10 plus years. And the same goes with my business partner, John Mellenbacher. Same thing. His own personal friends, family, and referred client base like to have that 10, 15 minute of touching base with somebody senior versus an employee. That, what you just said there, is an etiquette rule that I think a lot of people miss, especially early stage entrepreneurs. Well, there's a couple of things you said there I want to touch on. One is that etiquette. And look, if your clients are CEOs of companies and people who are founders, they want to speak to the founder. If they have that relationship, they don't want to get passed on to a junior customer service representative because to them, it's a subconscious like slap in the face. It really is. And I think that it's important, like you said, to maintain those personal relationships, especially when you're in a business where it's a significant amount of either time or money is being invested by both parties. And there are there's so much weight behind it. So I think that that's an etiquette thing that listeners should really take to note, especially if you're starting your own company. Don't be quick to you know hand things over to an assistant or to a staff member when you could also maintain those relationships. And then the second thing you said, which is this, it's so true. There's like a, a fetishization in Silicon Valley with entrepreneurs today on how many people you have at your company and how many chair, how many, what's your staff count out? All of these things where the better question should be, how are we best suited to solve our customers' problems and help them through struggles? Is that with 10 people that are highly trained? Is that with 100? Or is that with 1,000? What does that look like? But not just hiring for the sake of it, right? And I, I think that that's... Uh, Something we're seeing now, a lot of companies that are, I don't want to say that they're not based in reality, but there are a lot of companies that are raising money that don't have a roadmap to profit, profitability. And I think that that's like trying to get to the moon without equating for gravity. <laughs> and it's playing business to a large extent. And I look, I see this throughout the valley in San Francisco and, and the Bay and across you know North America. So I think it's refreshing to hear someone come on who's been in business for you know, 15 years and say, look, you don't have to have 900 employees and have a bunch of offices. You have to be there for your customer and serve them well. I think that's really the core of what you're saying, right? I mean, 100%. The other thing is just being available. I think what happens, especially with very young and successful entrepreneurs, is that they feel that they need to get all of those, what they perceive to be winning tools, you know, an executive assistant, multiple employees under them where they can pass off a call to them. 
and pass off a client and portray that I'm too busy mentality, which doesn't really resonate well, especially if you're dealing with, as you said, you know, other entrepreneurs, other CEOs, you know, C-level executives and owners and founders. I can tell you, even last night, I, I was, I took a phone call from a client of mine at 1130 at night. And I didn't have an issue with it. The, generally speaking, I mean, it's worth noting most of our investor clients are doctors and physicians. So we, you know, we have to work around their schedule, whether it's pre or post COVID. They, they don't work normal hours. If they're thinking about investing $5 million and they want to have a conversation, you know, I don't, I don't normally want to do a conversation at one in the morning, but if they want to have a conversation very late at night, we are going to have that conversation and I'm not going to have an issue with it. And I think you have to make yourself available at every level to a client. And I wouldn't go as far as saying, you know, the, the old adage of, you know, the client is always right. They're really not. But it's, you have to make yourself available to be able to either agree with the client that they're right on whatever, you know, the conversation pieces or, or explain to them why they're wrong. And, you know, here's the steps to go to um, rectify that mindset. But availability is so important and it's so lacking because I feel it myself. You said a couple of things there. One, in popular media tells you, oh, turn off your email at five, turn off your phone at five. And look, if you don't want to grow, sure. But like I always say to people, I'm like, I live on planet Earth. And if my most, <laughs> and when I live on planet Earth, if my highest paying client and a person that I've known for 10 years calls me with an emergency on Saturday, I'm picking up the phone. And that's just where I, that's how I operate and do my business. And a lot of the successful entrepreneurs I talk to all act that same way. They all move the same way where, yeah, there's this infinite freedom that comes with owning your business, but there's also this infinite need to be available for clients because we really are, when you're selling a, a high-priced product or a high a product that involves or a service that involves a lot of time, right? Being available is just so crucial. And other people, if you're dealing with heavy hitter clients, they understand the importance of time and they're not going to be in the business of wasting yours, right? I think that is something to, to note because it's just so against what the popular narrative is right now. And I think that uh, for listeners to know, if you're starting your own business, just have that, be available for people. It's so important. The second thing you know, you said is like people get caught up in these false measures of success of uh, executive EAs and passing off and putting on this illusion of busyness. Look, at the end of the day, the most successful CEOs and people I've talked to on this show or met with, uh, they have the time and they respond to their email. And if they can't respond right away, they say, hey, I got this and I will get back to you. I'm just going to be looped in meetings for the next week, but I see this. They make that account. So I think you hit the nail on the head that uh, for early entrepreneurs right now who are reading Inc. and Forbes and seeing that advice that's saying, you know, don't be available for lack of a better term, uh, it might not be the most sound move. I agree. I mean, I, I just recently gave an interview actually to Forbes about this topic, about how important it is to do a great job to be able to get referrals, right? I think the biggest sign of any business success isn't what your advertising budget is. It's what your referral um, numbers are like. And people, again, don't understand that. Like, I, I just get so frustrated when I'm dealing with somebody that's trying to sell me a service and they don't understand the importance of that. For me, every pretty much every consultant that I deal with, whether it's a chartered accounting firm, a tax lawyer, an, an architect, a designer, for me, it has to come through a referral and a referral that I fully trust. I do like seeing ads in magazines. I, I you know, my background, I studied um, marketing for some time. I, I, I enjoy looking at them, but I, I rarely get swayed by looking at an ad of, you know, a successful scene and thinking, well, maybe I should bank my dollars with these guys because the ad looks great. 
it's got to be a people business, right? And you can only really run a successful people business if you're touching people constantly. And what I mean by that is, like you just alluded to earlier, sure, there are times in a day I'll get 200 emails and I have one of those habits where I have to respond almost immediately or before the end of the day or by the end of the day. Um, I don't log it and say, I'll get back to this guy on Thursday of next week. So you're right. There's been times where I don't have time to give a detailed response, but I will drop a one-line email just saying, got your email. I'm going to get back to you soon. I can't answer every question right now. And people just are not willing to put in the effort, which is what you're saying as well, which is, I guess it's society right now trying to tell people what success looks like. It's, it's the Instagram lifestyle. It is. And you said something there, right? And I want to come back to this idea, right, of being available and really what you're saying too. And you said this in the previous little bit about, you know, the customer is not always right per se. Like you should be able to challenge them. And what this is, is positioning yourself as the trusted advisor. So that means when you truly look out for your client's best interest, that means steering them away from potentially negative outcomes, even though it might lose you immediate money. And then, you know, steering them towards the positive outcomes and what's going to happen, that's going to fuel the referrals, right? To come back to your point about referrals. If you truly look out for your client's best interest and if you fall in love with their problems and solving them, you're going to win long-term. And like you said, that referral business, the people-to-people side of things, it is just so, so important. 100%. It's actually, it really all comes down to relationships and trust and Putting your client first, it's really, really important for a lot of people. At the end of the day, I I, I firmly believe that every single sector, every single industry is a sales-driven and marketing business. Whether you're selling, you know, even doctors at the end of the day, um, for the most part, have to market themselves as experts in their particular field to be able to find and acquire a new patient, a new client, right? So at times, you know, there, there are deals out there where you will not be able to profit from them. You will get a phone call from a client that wants to buy in a deal or wants to invest in a project that has nothing to do with you. And there's somebody else that's making a fee on it. And you have to be able to Basically, give them the sound advice that they're asking for from you because they trust you and not worry about not getting paid. You can't get paid every single time. People have to understand that it's getting paid a number of times because you did a great job and not losing a client. And keeping a a client is fundamentally as important as being able to acquire that client. 100%. And that's it. It's falling in love with the client, falling in love with the process, being available. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for coming on today. For people who want to find out more about the condo store, where should they head to? I mean, the easiest way to find out about us is to go to our website, www.condostorecanada.com. And uh, if anyone has any interest in learning more, please feel free to reach out at any time. I will put a link to the condo store in the show notes page so you all can go click and see what Simon and his team are up to. Simon, thanks so much again for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jordan. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will catch you next time. Oh.